I'm going to Greece in a week with my mom and I'm so excited. I haven't seen the sea since I was a kid, so I just can't wait. And since it's getting closer, I'm more and more confident that the plane won't be canceled. So <laughs> So you seriously have not been to like an ocean since you were a child. I've never seen the ocean. What? Nobody hey, This might be like I must be really take this for for granted as an American. And I'm saying this I live like at least a thousand miles away from the closest ocean. No, no, I take that back. I live 600 miles away from the closest ocean. So that's like a good nine hours worth of driving. Yeah. I mean, the sea is much closer, but I, I always chosen uh, like city tour destinations and I wanted to go to Israel uh, maybe in 2000, when, right when COVID hit. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm so excited. <laughs> That's so exciting. Congratulations. And also, I can tell so much about your relationship with your family by the fact that you said, I'm going on a trip with my mom. I'm so excited. As opposed to many people it's like, I'm going on a trip with my mom. <laughs> yeah. You know, it it it, it came together like uh, <laughs> I was uh, about to buy uh, a, a piece of pottery uh, from Athens and the shipping cost uh was so much that I was like, okay, I'm checking out uh, plane tickets um, just to see how expensive it is, it is to go to Athens. And then I told my mom, hey, mom, like, I want to buy this piece. Do you want to come to uh, Greece with me? She was like, okay, sure. Why not? So we bought the tickets and booked the uh, apartment right away. <laughs> so you parlayed a pottery purchase into an entire Grecian vacation. Yeah. Fun fact, I'm not even buying the pottery. <laughs> what yeah <laughs> it still costs a lot so i was like okay um i'd rather focus on the renovation and having fun and uh eating great and drinking great and just not have that small piece of pottery for like uh uh monthly rent so yeah <laughs> So I'm excited to be talking with you. You and I, like, despite tweeting each other and doing DMs all day, like, don't do this much. So it's really exciting to be, like, talking to you face-to-face. -face. Yeah. It's We're as close as we get, right? Yeah. Hopefully we will get closer at some point, but um, so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good, right? And I mean, in an ideal world, you know, where the Tableau conference happened this year, you and I would both see each other, be like, hey, we'd like see each other face to face. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, like he's so much fatter than I realized. <laughs> but uh, like, no, but it's um, it's it's really fun to be able to like actually have like real conversations with people, which we don't get to do so much on Twitter and stuff. And uh, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for the Tableau conference, and by the time people are hearing this, this is day three of episodes. So we've already had Lindsay and Kevin, and that was a lot more conference-specific talk. Um, but because you have not been before, at least not to an in-person conference, yeah. and since you are such a darling to the data fam, everyone loves you. You're the best. Even though uh, when people pronounce your name a lot, they hit the J a little harder uh, in your name than typical. Like, how do you pronounce your name? I pronounce it uh, Judith. But uh, right. being called Judith is uh, so much better than uh, European people putting an H after my name, like Judith. <laughs> um, German people do it all the time. So yeah, whatever. I listen to everything. 
So um, you are my friend that I nerd out the most about media with, I think. Um, <laughs> and between uh, you know lockdowns and my kids finally being at an age where I can watch things and you being single and in an apartment that's being renovated, we've both had a lot of time to binge stuff. So this is a new uh, podcast format. Sometimes it's going to be data related. Sometimes it's not. It's always going to feature the data fam. But for you, I asked you to, I need you to tell me we're coming off of a conference. Everyone's brains are a little taxed. You're kind of excited, right? There's a lot of new stuff that's been talked about, but you're like, man, I really want to like take a break. (laughs) And I wanted to hear from you what your top five media binges are for post-conference viewing. Yeah. And I prepared. Um, so I have a top ta- uh, top five. Uh, and should I tell already the first? Let's, so let's start with a, a number five and count backwards to yeah. one as if all of these were not assigned arbitrarily and as if there was actually numerical significance to each, which there may or may not be. There is. Like my fifth and fourth, I are for the fun binge watching uh, theme, and the rest is like the serious stuff uh, that you just uh, can stop. And I also had a lot of um, series I thought about, but uh, they were left out since there are some favorites of mine that you just can't binge because it's it's so much. Like you can just watch one episode and then uh, contemplate over it for a week, uh, maybe watch it for three years. Um, but yeah, so my number five. Number five. Um, number five is The Office. And it's the US version, not the UK one. Um, so uh, I've watched this um, before, like even I think it was 10 years ago, but I have never watched it in sequence. So I might have left out some episodes, uh, some I watched t- 10 times. So now I'm rewatching it and I'm on season three. And why I picked this is because when you watch this series, it's like you're missing being in the office, like all those pranks, like uh, I, I miss I miss being in the office and it gives uh, back some of that uh, feeling. So office it is. Okay, I have a lot to say about this. So first of all, um, I have recently delved back into the office myself. And part of that is because now is a fabulous time for office member podcasts. So right now there's two excellent ones I can uh, recommend right off the top of my head. There's the office deep dive with Brian Baumgartner who played Kevin in the office. And they have a lot of the cast coming through there talking about various things from what it was like filming the episodes, like all their computers were live. So in the early episodes, they're all on like aim messaging each other or like posting stuff to like, uh, gosh, what was it before Facebook? Um, the one, the one that Justin Timberlake bought. They're all MySpace. posting on social media. They're yes, MySpace. They're one of the very first social media centric shows, mostly because they were all supposed to really be acting like they were in an office. In fact, for the very first season or two, they all came in and did a half hour paperwork every day before they started filming, just to get everyone in the right, like properly broken office mindset. And the other one is the Office Ladies, yeah, which has uh, Jenna Fisher and uh, the actress that plays Angela as well, who are our best friends. And uh, they go back and it's like a rewatch show. Yeah. So one is more of a 
a cast and crew centric and the others a rewatch show. Both are awesome. I can't recommend it highly enough. But yeah, The Office, great choice. Um, so who is your favorite character in The Office? Is there anyone who wouldn't say Jim or Dwight? Like, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Like uh, Creed is a pretty solid pick, mostly because having listened to his episode, The Office Deep Dive, he's not actually a character <laughs> like that is actually Creed Bratton is played by Creed Bratton and actually was in psychedelic drugged out rock bands in the 1960s. Oh my God. And basically just asked like, hey, I'd like to be on this show. They're like, OK. And his whole character backstory is like him up to a certain point. And then, like, his band thought he OD'd, dumped him in a dumpster in Scranton, and he woke up and just walked into an office and pretended he worked there. Oh, my God. I mean, I can choose, like, it can be anyone. It can be Michael. Like, maybe it's Michael. I don't know. Or the big tuna. I don't know. I, I can't choose. I, I This is such a great dynamic uh, they have that it, it can be taken apart. Like, I even like Toby. Toby was the showrunner for the last several seasons of the show. <laughs> so when Parks and Rec was kicking off, he was actually a showrunner for four seasons of the show. And most people don't even know that. I know all sorts of random factoids from listening to this podcast. Excellent show. Excellent choice. Really funny. And I could, it's one of those shows that holds up. Like you enjoyed watching it at the time, especially if you watch it live. But if you come back and revisit it, it's super binge worthy. It goes down smooth. And the comedy is great because it's just so subtle. Like it was part of one of those those like an early era of NBC sitcoms when they were super dominant. They had that. They had 30 Rock. They had a lot of shows. They had a very solid comedy block. And uh, The Office is excellent. So, yeah, I back up this choice. Yeah. Good call. Okay. Number four. Can we get to number four? Number four. <laughs> I'm going to okay. do this every time. <laughs> so the number four is um, somewhat similar. Like, it's a fun uh, thing. And it's on trash for me. Um, like it's, it's like, uh, the early, uh, 2000s, uh, packed into a show. Like I had those flip phones, like I, I dress the same. It's like, uh, sitting on the, uh, way back train or yeah, it's just so great. It's about uh, four showbiz guys. Uh, one is an actor and the other three is like basically the crew. Uh, and they grow up together and uh, it doesn't hold uh, as much together as The Office, but I, I just love it. And uh, Eric Gold's character is like, I think it's the best performances ever seen on TV. I, you know, Jeremy Piven is spectacular as Ari Gold. He's one of those guys that like came from movies like PCU before that and Actually, I think he might have gotten hair plugs right around the time of um, maybe after the first season of Entourage even because it sort of like Steve Carell in the office that filled in after the first season. But he's one of those guys where he was sort of pigeonholed. He wasn't getting a lot of play. And then he found this character that he so embodied that he was doing like um, references to that in like the movie Cars. It's essentially like Ari Gold is Lightning McQueen's rep in Cars too. But it's, it's in a brilliant uh, show. And I don't know if you know this, but... Um, it's actually loosely based on Mark Wahlberg and yeah. his entourage. Yeah. So it's like they uh, when they were pitching a show like Doug Elon, who is the showrunner and creator of it all, basically spent two years writing and pitching this thing over and over because someone came to him and said, you should pitch a show. And uh, he'd heard about this concept and tried to sell it. No one wanted it. They finally aired the first like episode. And uh, essentially, HBO didn't even believe in it. They came back to him and it's like, look, you know, um, 
don't be like super disappointed if the press on the show is really negative. We we usually make like good shows. And then it turned out to be a hit. And while like in retrospect, a lot of people sort of look back at it now and it feels like super dated and a lot of it's like I don't like cultural moments and politics. It's very representative of what it was at the time, particularly I imagine being young, handsome and rich in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really fun show. It's it's very uh, it's like smart, dumb. And I will say the last couple seasons kind of go off the rails yeah. for me. And the ending is super disappointing, yeah. especially if you don't know it's coming. It just grinds to a halt. And you're like, oh, it's over now. OK. Um, but yeah, uh, who's your favorite character on Entourage? Either E or Turtle. E or Turtle. Wow. OK, so for me, it's either Ari or uh, Johnny Drama. I love mm. Johnny Drama is the Donnie Wahlberg of the posse. And he's the guy that like had minimal success, but is sort of riding his brother's coattails. So everyone knows who he is uh, in, in Hollywood. Like everyone recognizes him, but it's like he hasn't had any real substantial success of any kind in his life. And it's like him trying to be happy for his younger brother who seems to have it so easy. I mean, there's a lot more drama in the show than I think people yeah. recognize. It's really easy to dismiss as like really superficial and dumb. But yeah, there's there's some complexity. And you've got these friends, which, you know, it's very easy to dismiss them all as like stereotypes, but they are all like genuinely happy for each other's successes and uh, try to celebrate that, even though they clash sometimes. But you know what's what's the most funny thing for me is that uh, the main character in the show within the show is Vince, and he's like the least of a character there, so he's like uh, a side actor uh, compared to the others, and uh, it's really funny. But yeah, okay, I haven't taken Ari into account. So yeah, it's definitely Ari. But uh, do you know they too have a podcast, Doug Elin and the guy who um, plays Johnny Drama? They rewatch all the oh, episodes no. like the office, office Ladies. So yeah. That's a lot of fun. I, I'm going to check that one out as well. There's a lot of those. There was a Scrubs one recently that I was really into for a while. So yeah, lots of great rewatch shows with lots of casts going on right now. So if, you, if you're feeling nostalgic, and want to jump into some stuff, it's a really great time to do that. So, yeah, Entourage, I second this. Great choice. Yeah. So here comes the not that fun part, <laughs> because I had to sneak in some more serious stuff as well. Uh, my number three. <laughs> number three. Is uh, Euphoria. Okay. I haven't seen it. It's on HBO, right? And it stars Zendaya? Yeah. Okay. Fill me in. Yeah. Um no spoilers here. Like it's about uh, teenagers coping with being teenagers. So nothing to spoil here. Um, and oh my God, like I watched the first episode and then I was like, I can't do this. And I haven't watched the second in in one year. I think I, I picked it up a year uh, after because it hits so close to home. Like it's about anxiety and uh about uh, panic attacks and I was really low at that point but then when I picked it up I watched all the other episodes in one day because it's just so great and why I like it so much is like Zendaya is like I don't know if she will have any better performances in her life uh, than that I hope so but on the other hand I doubt it um, so she's perfect in that and it's like these people uh, are not that uh, younger than me, but they face so different problems because of how the world changed in 10, 15 years, like 
how they cope with violence and drug addiction and uh, sex and body dysmorphia. It's like, I'm, I'm so happy uh, that I was born before that. So yeah, it's a drama. That, that's a really great point. I, I think about that, like um, when I was growing up, like we essentially got the internet in the you know, mid to late nineties, we didn't actually even have a family computer until like I was halfway through high school. Yeah. And then in college, like not everyone had laptops until around the time I was finishing and like the internet hadn't really caught on. Like I I'm, I'm saying how old, like I'm 40. Okay. So, um, like Zanga was a thing, like when I was graduating and Facebook didn't kick in well until after I was out of college, but I can imagine the pressures of being young and growing up and sort of like, if you're bullied at school, there is no leaving school. Like you're always connected to these people yeah. all the time. So like some of the some of the pressures and stuff that you're experiencing, you never fully disconnect from. It's one of those things, honestly, that kind of terrifies me about my girls. Like I have two uh, young daughters right now, and I'm like, how are we going to navigate all this? Like, I mean, they're young enough that they don't have phones or anything at this point. But uh, the thing I hope for the most is that they just don't use social media. Like it feels like in many ways, and I'm saying this as you and I are friends through and because of social media but the the it's such a double-edged sword that in many ways it can connect you to many of the right people but also so many of the wrong people yeah and about the show is like i i love uh, those kinds of shows a lot when um there's an arc uh to the story but uh all episodes concentrate on one character or one problem and it does an excellent job uh on that and uh, there are two holiday specials that came out uh, in the winter, and those are exceptional as well. So right now I'm just waiting for the second season to binge, which is about to come out hopefully later this year. Or And I want to say about Zendaya, she is a phenomenal actress. And I'm saying this as someone that has stated before, I have a strong, like almost ban of people with single names. Like when, when people generally go by a single name, like Sting or Madonna, I'm generally like, but, but, but Zendaya is so uh, not just charming, but talented and really undeniable. So uh, it's one of those, she's one of those people that you're happy to see succeed. It's uh, you, you just want to root for her, um, whether she's having like large commercial success on things like Dune or the Spider-Man franchise or, you know, on, on an HBO show, which honestly, like HBO's roster is so deep. I imagine this is not one of their top tier shows. It's probably mid tier. Um, but yeah, it's uh, congratulations to her. Yeah, she's very popular. And what I liked a lot about uh, Dune is that, uh, I mean, I know the story. If they made a, a, a film about health of the book, like the character that Zendaya plays, Chani, doesn't even appear um, in the first half. So I was like, how how will they do it? They toured the world with Zendaya um, starring uh, main character in Dune. And there was an uprising on Twitter uh, or all over the internet that someone counted that uh, the airtime of Zendaya in Dune is seven minutes, which is like so true. <laughs> well, it's a stacked cast, too. I mean, it's it's based yeah. on I listened to the audiobook earlier this year, and it's a 20 hour audiobook. Um, so it's it's rather long. And uh, are we having a Dune Gresham right now? We're Dune Gressing. We're, we're digressing to talk about Dune. It's happening. OK, we're, we're branching. We'll come back to number three. <laughs> But yeah, um, I think you and I have both seen Dune within the past week or so. It came out recently. So if you haven't seen it, um, it's like a 50 year old novel. No, it's it's older than that. We're not. There's nothing to spoil. Okay, sorry. But um, yeah, it's the cast is so stacked in that movie. 
and with a runtime of two hours and 35 minutes, it's, you know, surprising anyone had uh, a lot of screen time. Like Josh Brolin plays a fairly significant character or uh, who plays Duncan Idaho. Um, what's, what's his um, name? The, the Aquaman. Um, yes. Not Vinny Chase uh, from Entourage. <laughs> yeah, not Vinny Who Chase. also played Aquaman. Yeah, we're getting nerdy here, folks. But yeah, I thought Dune was I know it's, but Jason, Jason Momoa. How do I forget Jason Momoa's name? Um, but yeah, it's a, he's by one of your favorite directors, obviously, uh, Dennis Villeneuve, um, who uh, honestly, he just has such an incredible visual styling. Like there's a few directors out there whose whose visual styles are so uh, eye-popping. And um, gosh, like Wes Anderson, who's another one of your favorites. He's not a special effects whiz, but his use of color and just sort of clarity on screen is spectacular. But yeah, it, it's, it's a true visual feast. So I, I went to see it. Uh, we saw it on the biggest screen we could. Uh, my wife knew nothing about Dune other than she thought it looked really cool from the trailers. She is a like a, a she's a closet nerd like you wouldn't suspect it, but she really is. So uh, I saw it having read the book. She saw it knowing nothing about it. We both absolutely loved it. And she said it was the most um, it was like the feeling of seeing Star Wars for the first time in the sense of like discovery of just such a big new world that you were fascinated by, knew nothing about. And I was like, well, that's about as good as you, you could really get from a cinematic experience. Yeah, it was weird watching with people who uh, haven't read the book. So I always felt that something is left out. So I was like, yeah, and he's a mentor and he's a human computer. Uh, so now we can go on. So I commented everything <laughs> so that the people won't feel left out. Oh, my gosh, you're the worst. <laughs> It's uh, you're making me think of uh, one point my mother-in-law wanted to watch Inception. Um, so we were at my house before I had kids. Um, and we're like, okay, we're going to watch Inception. Inception's like a two hour movie. And it was like a four hour screening because uh, she's like, okay, what's happening now? Are they in a dream? It's like, yes, they're in a dream, but <laughs> it's a dream within a dream. Wait, explain that. So I'm like at different points in time, I'm like, go, I'm holding up fingers. Like this is dream number three. They're at the ice fortress. This is dream number two yeah. in the hotel. Wait, whose dream is this? Well, the ice <laughs> fortress is Arthur's dream, which is a dream <laughs> inside Yusuf Street. <laughs> I'm trying to explain all this. I'm like, do I even understand this? I mean, I guess I, I figured it out at least some point because I made a viz out of it. But yeah, it's uh, trying to explain Inception live to like, a, you know, an elderly person while watching it is is challenging. So I don't recommend that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Should we go? Number three. Number two, I think. There was The Office, The Entourage. Oh, you're right. Number two. Euphoria was number three. (laughs) I'm a professional. Okay, so number two. Number two. Number two is Dark. It's a Netflix show. It's a German one. The German show. Yeah. (laughs) It's like so exceptional. It's about... um, like um it's a family saga with a uh with a supernatural twist two kids uh, go missing um in the woods and uh, some threads between families um get disentangled or entangled more um so um i don't know how to talk about this without spoilers it's a i've heard it compared to german stranger things yeah, it's it's similar, but it's it's just so 
it's just so nice. It's a it's a Schrodinger's uh, cat story. I don't know um, how many times we can play this out, um, th this concept, but it works so well. And what makes it even better is that um, each character is played by uh, three different uh, actors because um, they have a young one, a mid-age one, and an old one. And the cast is absolutely amazing. Like you see that uh, 30-year-old guy and you can't imagine he won't look like uh, his older version in 30 years or 40. It's everyone is so perfect. And I was so fascinated by it because, you know, Germany is not America. The pool of uh, German actors is uh, much smaller, but they still manage to pull it off. And I think it's just amazing. So, yeah, I'm all over it. Let me ask you this. So when you're watching a foreign language show of a language that you may or may not speak, I don't believe you speak German, right? Nope. Okay. So are you a subs person or are you a um, dubbed person? Um, I'm, I'm watching it with subtitles. I'm, I'm all in for original sound apart from uh, uh, Japanese animes. Fair enough. I, I can alternate depending on how well I think the voice cast fits. So for example, I was recently watching Cowboy Bebop because um, all the hype, essentially. Like, I'd watched a few episodes years before. I've watched the first two episodes of that about seven times, and then I've never made it past that, so I'm kind of <laughs> pushing through. And I'm listening to that dubbed, but then I watched a couple, I believe, Norwegian shows like um, Fortitude, mm -hmm. which I highly recommend. Um, season one particularly is excellent, where they have Stanley Tucci show up. And as well as one called, I believe, called The Rain, which is on Netflix. And the rain sounds very similar to dark in many ways. And that's a high concept kind of uh, horror drama idea. For some reason, the rain makes people lose their mind and go nuts. Not that different from so many. Like, yeah. <laughs> like a Danny Boyle zombie movie. But um, that, that one in particular, like I'm, I'm very careful with Norwegian shows at this point, because usually at the midway point, they like to throw in something so personally dramatic and horrifying that you're you're just sort of like shell shocked by it. Uh, and um, in in general, I I think that uh, European movies are much more raw uh, compared to to American ones. Like there's no humor in them. Like it's <laughs> all the sadness, dark. Um, it's it's a different experience compared to uh, like a regular show on Netflix. I have a limited capacity for misery. And I think a lot of the stems too. I used to be a lot more flexible on those back when I was in college. But it was when my my now wife, then girlfriend, Tiffany, uh, did a semester abroad in France. Uh, so I was you know, spending a, a lot of time watching movies late into the night. And everyone was like, dude, don't watch Requiem for a Dream. Like, it's really intense. I'm like, yeah, it's really intense, whatever. So I think I started watching it around like midnight. And uh, around 2 a.m. around the, and this is also why I don't watch Darren Aronofsky films anymore, but around 2 a.m. when it's finishing, I mean, I'm already depressed because my girlfriend, I haven't seen my girlfriend in like four months, but it's where um, if you haven't seen Requiem for a Dream, don't, unless you love misery. But there's a montage of everyone's lives crumbling, and it's got this amazing symphonic, uh, it's literally an epic score. And I know this because they continue to use this score for the next several years for every epic movie trailer. It's like da, 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 like that thing. And it's like I'm watching this like in horror as everything's going down. And it's like two in the morning. I'm like, oh, God, what did I just see? And it's like it's like if you um, 
you were ever tempted to use like heroin or anything like just start with this movie and then make your call on that uh like don't don't jump straight into the heroin watch requiem for a dream and then decide uh what your feelings are but yeah oh my gosh that's yeah whew. i i like um sad miserable movies but um i can't just go to sleep watching uh a movie like that so after i watch something like this i watch um an amazing rentals or uh um top destination vacation rentals uh for 20 minutes and then i can go to sleep but uh yeah not with that that's a that's a pro move like that's someone who who knows her capacity for misery yeah. and how to back out of it yeah. i was ill-equipped for what i experienced with requiem for a dream i, I didn't have the coping mechanisms in place okay so we're coming down to yeah. our final entry. Number one. Uh, number one is no surprise. I thought a lot, but it just cannot not be uh, Twin Peaks. So it's Twin Peaks for me. <laughs> okay, so I have some important questions about this. Many important questions, actually. But the first important question is, are you counting the two original seasons and then the revival season? And are you counting Firewalk With Me, the movie spinoff of Twin Peaks? Everything as a package. It's a package deal. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a, a different uh, kind of experience, I guess. Like my utmost favorite is uh, season one. Like it has everything that small town humor, uh, the mystery, the build up. Uh, and it's just so perfect. Like I think it has everything. Then season two, meh, some good parts, some bad parts, but okay. And season three is nothing like what you would expect from Twin Peaks. It's it's a completely different show with the same characters. But uh, looking back at it, uh, it all makes all makes sense. I can't say that because I watched a five hour explain a YouTube video and I still don't get it. But I'm not even sure I want to get ev everything. So it's more like what you take away uh, by watching it. But yeah, so everything, every part of it is a different kind of experience. Firewalk with me, I I don't particularly like it. It's it's like a horror movie. Um, it's it's again another genre. But uh, yeah, the whole package. So let's talk about um, for people that haven't seen Twin Peaks. It's a it's a whimsical small town story about a girl found dead wrapped up in plastic on the beach and how everyone responds to this. And there's lots of crying and dramatic swells and uh, weird shots of fans in the ceiling. Yeah, but what makes it so unique or at, at, at the time is that this was the first uh, show on TV that was uh, not like the Colombo or uh, Miss Marple uh, where uh, every episode is centered around uh, someone's death. It's it's the, it was the first show that centered around an investigation uh, where it like uh, goes on for uh, several episodes. So yeah, it was a revolutionary moment in uh, in TV. That's absolutely true. It's early '90s, so you have to think about what's on TV leading up to that point. You're coming out of the '80s with the whole Dallas Who Shot Jr. thing, which my parents were into. That was like the high drama of the day, and all of a sudden, early '90s hit you get this super strange take on this type of show. 
I mean, first of all, you've got the really self-indulgent long opening with uh, the score, which is spectacular, basically showing a lumber mill and shots of the local trees. And you're like, what kind of show am I watching? You've got these soap opera music stings that pop up throughout the episodes. You've got people whose motivations swing dramatically in one direction or another. And you're trying to, at times, determine, is this like intentional is like that the character's acting or is this like a sort of david lynch being self-indulgent kind of thing and even then i believe they resolve the murder at the end of the first season right like they resolve it before the end of the second for sure uh mid-second like it was pressured to put an end to it um yeah right so it's the the entire show is sort of wrapped around uh the death of laura palmer um and honestly some of the best shows you'll see now that deal with the concept of murder, like Bosch on Amazon, borrow from this concept. So and Bosch is a police show, but instead of being a procedural where every episode is a murder like CSI, it's each season is a single case. So you get that ability to have sort of lots of character growth and rather than sort of having to funnel the entire characters through the lens of this case, you're allowed to actually have them have experiences and growth of things that happen that ultimately lead to your resolution. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting show. Um, And uh, you see stuff like the X-Files that sort of borrowed from that, you know, even a couple years later, which launched in like 93 or something, like a borrowing heavily from sort of the music of Twin Peaks and sort of the uh, the visual stylings uh, of sort of it's uh, often darkly lit and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. It's um, and it's an interesting choice. And even like, um, okay, I read a lot about Twin Peaks, but how it was made, like the evil character, Bob was a guy on set. Like he's not an actor, like David Lynch saw him and he was like, okay, just do that again. We will film it. And this is how it came. It, it all evolved. It had a concept, but everything evolved or, for example, in season three, when uh, um, um, Special Agent Cooper and Laura go back to their house, uh, the woman who lives there is actually the woman who lives there. Like she's pay- playing herself. So it's just so amazing. These little, little details. I'm, I'm, I'm all over it. Yeah, David Lynch is an auteur, like in every um every consideration of the word he he is a truly unique mind and while that sometimes uh means hits and misses which you may debate me on no. it means he always swings for the fences and always has a unique perspective i mean we talked about dune earlier and david lynch was the director of the original cinematic dune which he did instead of uh return of the jedi which would have made him a lot more money <laughs> um but yeah it's a uh, i call that movie uh unwatchable um, but I know for you, you're utterly fascinated by his take on it. Mm, no, I, I would say that it's it's terrible to watch. Like, it's so rudimentary. It shouldn't, like, the nine, uh, 90s, it was even in, in the 80s. So the 80s wasn't the time uh, to make a film like this. The technology wasn't there. So it looks awful. But the way he tells the story it's for me it's better than the the current one so i would like to mix the two uh the scenery of the current one with the narrative of the old dune so yeah but we'll see uh when the second part is out maybe i will change my mind 
Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad it's been greenlit. I hate to wait two years, but I hope it's worth it. And I think you and I have one bonus show to talk about that you and I are both currently hooked on on HBO. Ah, okay. I know what it is. Okay. Okay. So if you are not currently watching Succession, (laughs) you are missing out because Succession is one of those rare delights of truly terrible people being truly terrible. And it's it's comedically brilliant. It's it's a it's a if you're not familiar with it, it's a dark comedy and it revolves around a family which is kind of a combination of Rupert Murdoch uh, and essentially the Disney Corporation. So uh, the patriarch is older and in poor health and he has four children, all of varying levels of ambition and spoiledness who all feel like they're special and deserve to run this thing and uh, and go. What do you think about it? I'm in love with it. Like um, I'm currently watching. I think I think the third episode of season three is coming out today. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm all over it. I, I watched the first two seasons uh, last year, and I just I, I think it's it's in my top three shows of all time. Like there's no I, I there's no likable character in there, but I still like all of them. Like. Kendall, oh my God, I think he deserves everything for that performance. But if I have to pick my favorite one, it's going to be Rome. I'm so in love with the Kalkin family um, that Kieran Kalkin is my my number one choice here. So we can't talk about this without talking spoilers. So if I, now's your time to hang up or put your hands over your ears and hum. But I mean, you have Kendall who does a full Ted Kennedy and, you know, kills someone in a river. You've got uh, Roman, who is a uh, a whiny little bizarre pervert. Um, you have Shiv, who tells her husband immediately following their wedding that she's been cheating on him, but that it's okay that they're they're more evolved beyond this and that she has no intention of stopping. And then who's the older brother? Uh, plays uh, from Cameron from uh, Ferris Bueller. Uh, he has a funny name as Connor. Connor. Connor, right. So Connor, who is just generally the least ambitious and uh, is just kind of a ne'er-do-well, who makes videos saying that he's not going to pay taxes and that he's going to run for president. And he just generally throws everything in the fire all the time to see uh, what will stick. So you've got the four of them, and they all feel like they deserve to run this company. Their father's also a terrible person, mind you. But yeah, you're, you're correct. There's absolutely... No likable person to hang your hat on. There is, however, Shiv's husband, Tom, who um, has a very... Wait, what? Tom and Greg. Right. Okay, so Greg is... There are two insanely comedic characters in the show. There's cousin Greg, who is like an unambitious man-child who sort of begs his way into the family and then proceeds to blackmail everyone. And then you have Tom, who's Shiv's husband, who, upon getting a new corporate title, realizes that uh, he is going to have an entire scandal hung on top of him just because he inherited it and everyone else passed the buck. And my favorite moment on the show to this point is Tom and Greg are locked in a panic room. And Greg, um, having no idea what Tom's marital situation is like or that it's been simmering in the back of Tom's mind for at least a season and a half, 
tells Tom that maybe he could work in a different division and they could have like an open working relationship, at which point all of Tom's angst about his wife continually cheating on him explodes on Greg and he proceeds to throw water bottles at him where they'll track trapped in a panic room together. It's just it's the most delightful thing. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the whole concept, like uh, uh, the 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 episode I watched last week, it's it's. So everything is played out in one single room. It's like a chamber comedy. And it's like all episodes are about that one thing Two, There are two boiling points in every episode and it doesn't get uh, boring at all. Like uh, who will be the CEO? Uh, that's one. And people. And if there is only if if it has been decided or there's it's not in question, then the other thing that can occur is that uh, who's with who, and they are always just uh, trying to sense uh, where is the power now, um, and and it's just like it's nothing new. It's always the same, but it's just so funny. Oh my god! Like best shows of all time. Oh, and the other part about the panic room I loved is Tom realizes he's not in the good panic room. There's like a better panic room that yeah. he could be in. So he has like panic room envy. And Greg starts to point out all of the safety points that are issues in their panic room. Like there's a small area someone could get through. He's like, what if they send in an attack child? <laughs> and it's just like the fact that in Greg's head, an attack child is a thing that could happen is <laughs> something that brings me just just so much joy. It's 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 like sophisticated trash television. It really is. Yeah. Like it's it's not um, you know, I, I know it's won some awards, I know it's been renewed. The actors are spectacular, but it's it's a very silly concept about awful people that if you can get down on that, you absolutely should. Yeah, the actors are top-notch. Like even the the smallest characters are couldn't be better. Like everyone who's playing a small part on the board, they are they are so genuine. I actually believe they are they are them. Yeah, it's everyone plays it straight. Like no one realizes uh, they're on a TV show. I mean, even though uh, you have Roman who's like cracking wise, it's more because he knows he can take the air out of the room whenever he does that. Like he he is actively using that as his way of negging the rest of the cast. Yeah, but I also think it's because they're really good actors. But uh, the thing that makes it unique for me and why I can believe uh, they are them because, like, let's be honest, none of them are famous actors. Like, uh, they are not uh, Star Wars to Dune level act- actors or actresses. They are really good, but not not that popular. Exactly. That's why it works. If you were seeing all these faces that you recognized, um, they would suck you right out of it. But because of that, you can conceivably believe that all these people are who they are presenting as as actors. And it uh, it works. It totally works. Yeah. Well, awesome. I had so much fun doing with you. Thank you for being my guinea pig. Um, this has been Select Top 5 uh, Post-Conference Binges with Judith Becker. See you later. Bye-bye. Select Top 5 is a Data Plus Love production. Our music track is Higher by Monotype, courtesy of Take Tones. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. 
Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and you can get more if you choose or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.